Do you know an artist or producer who's all about repping their brand? Gotta keep on hustling. <laughs> they post and run, aggressively put their content in front of you, expecting you to click, buy, follow, subscribe, like they know they are what you are looking for. Is that what marketing is? Is that you? Why is it that we can easily identify sleazy marketing that repels us away? Even if they're serving in the category of something that you are searching for and truly want. What is it that turns us off from a bad marketing campaign? If you want the answers, stick around because we're in the final pillar of this four-part mini-series with MPA's founder, Adam Reistek. Have you found yourself questioning what it takes to make it in the music industry? Does it feel like there is some secret successful producers know that you don't? This is the Modern Producer Secrets Podcast, the first music industry podcast for creatives who want to reach beyond the side hustle, where we show you how to apply the principles of business, mindset, and personal development to create real, sustainable success from the inside out. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Bashaw, and we are back with one final episode. I have Adam with me here today. We're going to be covering episode four, which is the Four Pillars mini-series. Today is all about marketing. How many of you still believe that the best way to put yourself out there is to just throw your music up on SoundCloud and wait to get discovered? Or, you know, you put your beats up on BeatStars and hope that somehow you just rise to the top. Uh, how's that been working for you? I, 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 I gotta tell you, it hasn't worked out too well for me. <laughs> We're going to discuss how marketing is the final piece of the puzzle and how you can leverage marketing strategies at any level of business to grow where you're at. How are you doing today, Adam? I didn't get to ask you. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> uh, so maybe let's just jump into it. Why marketing? Like, why doesn't our music just speak for itself? Yeah, it, it would be nice, right? <laughs> If that, that was the case, but, uh, you know, it really isn't, um, you know, uh, that's not how, how it works in this day and age. So, yeah, I feel like it, for me, it comes down to like, just trying to imagine a world without advertising. (laughs) (laughs) Is that even possible? Like would people be able to find what they need? Mm -hmm. We need advertising. We we need to know what exists out there. And a lot of times it's just going to have to be, you have to tell the world you exist. Like that's just what it comes down to. Yeah, you might be the best producer in the world, but if nobody knows you exist, you know, it's not going to work for you. Exactly. Yeah, you could be super prolific, but if if nobody knows about you, how how much does it matter? Is it actually going to help you move the needle and keep like sustaining yourself? I remember, oh, was it episode seven or so? I interviewed Mark from Without a Chord, and um, we had several chats. Like we we would chat a lot on Discord just privately. He has a very interesting musical brand, but he's not for everyone. I remember talking with him several times about his dilemma with growing his artist brand, and it kept coming down to marketing. So for him, there was this like mental block that we really had to address, and we had to do with his Baroque style of metal and electronic hybrid music that, you know, it's a very niche appeal. He has a, an amazing sound. He has a gift with being able to write and arrange some very complicated musical structures that truly sound beautiful. But his block wasn't around that. His block was with understanding the fundamental nature of human beings. And if that's you, perhaps you need to hear this because marketing is how you let the world know that you exist. And there's a lot of misnomers out there about the music industry that stem from this whole old fashioned concept of, you know, build it and they will come. (laughs) Uh, This happens in just about every industry, but most of all within the music industry. 
So most of you probably say you have no strategy for marketing. Well, having no strategy is a strategy, but that's also like saying, I just failed to plan and failing to plan is planning to fail. <laughs> uh, so let, you know, maybe let's just kind of get into the tenets of marketing here. So marketing is such a blanket term that it's often, uh, there are some misunderstandings about what is considered marketing. So maybe we can start there. Yeah, if I just put my music out there on SoundCloud and we'll get discovered, that's one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum is just, you you know, people, and it drives me nuts on Facebook, people tagging me in posts, you know, to promote their latest release. Oh, yeah. That's not marketing or spamming my inbox with, with their links to their YouTube channel and not saying hi or anything, you know, just dropping a, a link or spamming. And, and that's why we had to, we had to also shut down our Facebook group and be, and move everything over to discord because the, the idea I think a lot of producers have and is that, you know, marketing is just spamming your links, and that's just that's not true. And yeah, and I I don't really Post know. And run, no, thank I don't, you. Yeah, I don't know where this this concept, why people think this actually works. I mean, where did I don't I would I'm curious. I don't know. I think it's laziness. Yeah. It really just comes down yeah. to laziness. Like I don't want to take the time to build genuine relationships, so I'll just spam and and run <laughs> and hope for the best. And I don't know why people think that's a winning spray marketing strategy, but I like the other pray. term. Yeah, yeah. Spray I like the pray. term hopium because yeah. uh, another hopium. model that people seem to to lean on is the word of mouth. Like, yeah, I'll just you know, a lot of people seem to get successful off word of mouth, yeah. but what they're facing is that survivorship bias, where yeah, the people who have are are, are living off of word of mouth alone are the people who have been in the industry long enough to survive to that level where they're finally able to make a sustainable living off of it. But what about all the other people who couldn't do that? We don't hear about those because they failed. They failed far too long to be able to spread the word. Like that word of mouth alone does not work. Yeah. Well, and even if, even if it does for a while, I mean, then you look at, and I'm, you know, I'm based here in New York and the major studios that have been here are are now closed because they relied so much on word of mouth, you know. So it's it's not not enough. So having it's not, yeah, a strategy. It's not a strategy. I mean, it is, but if we're going to talk about strategies today, when it comes to marketing, let's talk about things that we can control, which means yeah. what we're doing to put our word out. Well, the hope model, meaning like, hey, we're just going to rely on word of mouth. You have no control over word of mouth. Word of mouth is somebody else who likes your service may or may not tell other people about you. You have no control over when clients are going to come in the door, when people are going to refer people to other people to let you know you exist. Like that, that, that is not a strategy that we can control. So instead, we need to start developing a strategy for what we can control, how mm-hmm. we do get our message out there. Hey, we exist. I'm a business and I stand for this. So that's, to me, essentially what marketing is, is the right message to the right person at the right time. So how do we, how do we pull those levers? How do we, you know, like the, the pulleys and levers in this business, if we're going to talk about marketing, how do we pull those? Yeah. So I guess the way I like to, you know, it, it, it is a, you know, it could go in so many different directions in this, but, but really what, what I think it comes down to in order to create demand for your beats or your production services, you need to first consider where do you want to position yourself in the market? 
right? So what we're about to talk about is kind of the new music industry, not this old outdated method of, you know, relying on word of mouth or you go working at a major studio and then, you know, you get clients that way. People just come, you know, build it. They will come. This whole, the whole old music industry is, is dead. And, and the sooner you let go of that and, you know, realize that there is so many new opportunities in this new music industry, uh, which is basically, you know, a passion based and, and a passion economy at where, you know, if you have an internet connection, you can have a business. So, um, mm. so the way you kind of need to approach your marketing as a, as a producer and, and, you know, generating an income is, is, you know, as I mentioned, first and foremost, where do you position yourself in the, in the marketplace? So, I guess there's you know, the way to look at it is there's three tier market tiers basically you have you have the low and then you have the mid and then the high so in the low market tiers it's that's kind of like the Walmart <laughs> so so you're competing <laughs> on price and that's kind of the race to the b- yep. bottom so that's your beat stars that's your uh, sound better you know where you get five buck five five beats for three dollars right so um, mm-hmm. and the cust- you'll find that the customers in this in this market this market tier you know they're they they're the ones that complain the most <laughs> and uh, are the pain in the ass to work with um and then so then there's the the next tier up which is the mid tier um and this is your this is kind of like the mall right so you're still kind of undercutting you know, the next producer, you know, on price. Um, so it's so like, since if you're doing like, instead of five beats for $3, you're doing like $20, $20 to a hundred dollar per beat. This is better. Um, but, but again, you know, and we, we were talked about this before is that, you know, people will check the next door if it's cheaper. Right. I kind of like the illustration of the mall too, because that, that, that also kind of signifies, Hey, people know, there are a ton of places to go shopping there, but let's take, you know, your clothing brands, for example, there's only one forever 21 there. There's only one right. arrow postal or whatever, you know, yep. those brands have kind of built a reputation for themselves. I know the brand name there within, within the mall, but I can still go shopping between multiple clothing stores. If I want a different style mm-hmm. and where you leverage your power as a music producer is as you're establishing your brand identity, this goes back to the messaging episode this goes back to the music episode, which again, your music is your product. It's it's kind of touching on all of these now. Marketing is looking at these things like, okay, well, if we're going to go shop at the mall, let's let's take the um, Amazon has this ACX marketplace, for example. That would be a good example of the mid-tier, like the, the mall shopping. Like, mm-hmm. We know there are a bunch of content producers and publishing agencies there. And this is sort of that mall marketplace where we can go establish a storefront for our business but people are still going to shop around. And then there's the uh, then there's the high tier, which is this is the Gucci, right? The Ferraris, you know, the where <laughs> the price doesn't matter here. It's like the either mm-hmm. it, either it's an outcome or an experience. So um, so this is where you're charging, you know, a thousand dollars for for something custom or you know a custom beat or fully produced song, you know, anywhere from three to $5,000. And then you'll find that, you know, the clients that you're getting in the, in 
that that you're getting from that are more of the high tier customers they're dedicated and they value you know your services and and they tend to get better results too um you know you get i I like the there was a meme that was floating around um uh not too long ago that i saw about uh fifty dollar mixing client versus like a thousand dollar mixing client and and one and the fifty dollars was like was it was like the 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 band was like we you know we we listened to this and we even talked to one of our friends that's a producer and we you know we're investing so much of our 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 craft and our art into this project and you know we want we want it to sound at like this you know and and you know we th- and we talked to this producer friend and he was thinking you know you could maybe adjust the bass here you could you know bring up the vocals a little bit more and then and then so all these like different things and then underneath it says it says uh this was a thousand dollar client and said let's go to mix b money sent (laughs) (laughs) so it's like yeah i mean if you have and that's why it's so important when you when you approach your marketing you know where where first where do you want to position yourself do you want to go after the the low tier or the mid tier you know or do you want to position yourself Mm -hmm. as a premium uh producer and you're you're creating that vip experience for your end clients so uh, it's not to say that you can't make money in these other tiers, but um, you know the way I like to to think about it is is uh, once you kind of figure out where you want to position yourself um, and your producer brand is setting your income goal, and that's where yes. kind of where it kind of shows you pretty obvious like what what tier is kind of the better tier to to go after but let's say you want to make a hundred thousand dollars in a year right you so it's a good round number yeah so if you break that down so that would be a thousand customers at a hundred dollars um could do a hundred customers at a thousand dollars or you could do 20 customers at five thousand dollars so what's what's easier getting a thousand customers or getting 20 customers right so um so once then that's kind of where you know i think if you are going to go you can definitely you know especially if you're doing sample packs and um that and that sort of thing you know you're gonna have to realize and i have to go after volume um and that's that's okay and that can certainly um be part of part of your income stream, but really the main uh, source of your income where you can transition from out of from it being a side hustle to your front hustle is going after the the bigger fish, you know, the whales, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the ones that you're, um, and that's why having you know a systemized marketing strategy and system is so important. And and we'll we'll go into a little bit of that what it, what it looks like later. Yeah, I think it also helps to kind of like understand like let's let's take that hundred thousand, you know, dollar. Let's take that figure and just break it down. Like if we look at that and say, hey, I want to make that this year. I want to break six figures this year. That breaks down to about eighty three hundred mm-hmm. a month, a little over eighty three hundred a month. So let's say if your goal for the month is to try to hit that number every month, well, how how much do you have to how much work do you have to do? If you're going at those premium clients 
and you're charging 10K a client and you can do that work in a month, like you can actually turn it around from close the sale to actually being done and start lining up multiple ones of these, then I want you to think about that from that perspective. Work from the top down. And that's what Adam's really trying to hit home here is that if you build from the end goal, the end, build the end result vision of how you're going to be living your life, how you're going to be doing this business and work backward from there, set yourself up these actionable steps. Like, how am I going to get there? Keep breaking them down until you have a clear path forward. And that's where we start developing things that are going to help us there. When we get to the marketing of this, now that we have the goals in place, we can start developing some strategies for marketing ourselves that will actually make sense. The other thing I wanted to mention too, is that when you're thinking, oh, well, I can't charge, you know, the be a premium brand. I can't be a premium producer because, you know, artists won't pay it. And that is kind of, that goes back to mindset, <laughs> I guess. Cause, cause, cause I, because I think, you know, and then that's why all these pillars are kind of, it's like a Venn diagram, right? So they kind of, they all, all overlap, they all overlap, but, um, in, in, but anyway, so, so the, what one of my mentors said is that, um, if you're the best, wait, if you're the cheapest, nobody expects you to be the best. And if you're the best, nobody expects you to be the cheapest setting realistically, like how much do you want to make? And then figuring out how many customers that you need to get uh, in order to to make that revenue goal, and then and then you start implementing the the marketing strategies and systems into place. And I, and I think you you must never believe that your potential artist client has no money because everyone thinks artists don't have money, but then you see them buy an expensive instrument you know, or a, or a Gucci, you know, post on Instagram, that Gucci shirt, you know, or, or those Air Jordans or, (laughs) yeah. Uh, and, and so, so I think what it comes down to is many times money, it's not that money is the problem. It's that they just can't connect the dots in their head on what you do is worth what you charge. We live in an era of low confidence. And Mm. so they may not be able to see the vision yet. And, you know, they're worried about choosing the wrong producer. Um, you know, they're maybe they're unsure if they're going to make a return on their investment um, and they've, they've been burned in the past. So so then, you know, this kind of leads them down the path trying to produce themselves, you know, which works and why they need you. <laughs> um, or they go after buying cheap beats or not finishing them or even worse, like, anal- you know, paralysis by analysis or analysis mm-hmm. paralysis whatever you want to say uh not doing anything so so your job is to eliminate that risk and provide value up front so um you know making it clear that you don't work for free but um you know giving them a taste of what you do um and so that's kind of like the the front end of of your marketing system so i just yeah. wanted to point that out cuz i think when before we get into the strategy, you know, it, it goes back to being, you know, confident in yourself as a producer and charging what you're worth. I, that's a funny thing when you say worth, because it's I know so many artists that struggle with the word marketing. Like it's such a taboo term. Like I can't market myself. It just feels salesman. It's not sleazy to be able to communicate effectively that you know what you're worth. Yep. And good business people 
understand that they're offering a genuine value. They truly, genuinely believe that they can help solve your problem. They have figured out the solution that will work for most people in this mm-hmm. scenario. And so when we're talking about marketing, there's a few things. In fact, there's going to be a lot of stuff we kind of touch on today. There is a whole psychology behind marketing. And yeah, you can dive through all of those marketing gimmicks and things and try to find ways to pull the levers to get people to buy. But at the end of the day, the most genuine brand is going to be the one that just stands for what it does. When you're honest and completely transparent with your audience, like, hey, this is what I do. I'm living it. I'm doing it. This is how I do it. And whether your your goal is to be a marketing through your content or if you have you know email lists or you just send out newsletters, however you choose to reach them, just be genuine. Show them this is what I do. This is what I stand for. And this goes back to your message. When you're clear with your message and you're clear with that in your music, everything is in alignment, then the marketing will work. It will. It's when it's not in alignment that you're going to struggle with the marketing mm-hmm. because the marketing is where it finally hits the, the, the people you're trying to reach. And it'll either be adding friction, meaning it'll turn people away, or you'll start attracting the clients you want and the results will start to show. So there's, there's so much to cover with this topic that we're kind of, we're going to gloss over a lot of things. So the terms that we use here today, definitely just hop on Google if, if you're curious about it and Google's your best friend, but there, there's something I'd like to dive into now. Cause you mentioned first setting up your income goals, like establishing mm-hmm. your value and then the market tiers. So all of those things, uh, I feel like are clarifying your optics, which means how the world perceives you when you clarify your optics. Now let's talk about what marketing actually looks like. So what it looks like, depending on your brand and focus, you may opt to focus on putting out content marketing. So that's blogs, vlogs, YouTube, how to's talking head pieces, whatever you pick, think about the optics of it. Like if you were in the audience, how would you perceive it as a business? And if it feels sleazy and salesman, then it probably is. But if you are putting out content that you genuinely believe like, Hey, I wish somebody had this or somebody was telling me this when I, when I was growing up, when I was trying to get started in this, then that's genuine. Start there, start with genuine things and then consistently reaching your audience, whether that's email. So email is permission-based marketing, meaning like they're going to opt in. You don't just get their email somehow. They, they have to give it to you. That's permission to market to them. So this is uh, essentially a form of lead nurturing when we're talking about reaching out to people you've already established trust with, because obviously they've given you their email and now you're going to talk to them, continue the conversation. Then there's discovery platforms like Google, YouTube, anything with an algorithm for people are searching for key terms. There's a whole a whole ethos behind search engine optimization that we don't have time to get into because that's just crazy <laughs> and it's always changing. <laughs> Same with like Facebook, their search engine is always changing. But those are all just different ways that you can connect with new audiences as a form of lead generation. So those are people you haven't reached before. You're trying to reach new people. There, obviously, there's so many things to talk about with marketing. Uh, are any of these points uh, something you'd like to stop on, Adam? Just let me know. Yeah, so so what, what you're kind of getting at um, is, is this concept of the sales funnel. And this is something that's, you know, goes all the way back to... Um, 
you know, the early 20th century. Uh, and there was a, a model uh, in advertising that was pioneered by uh, a, a American um, advertising pioneer, uh, Elias uh, St. Elmo Lewis. And he came up with this this term called the uh, IDA, um, the IDA model, which is basically an acronym uh, for uh, awareness, uh, interest, desire and action so these are kind of like the the steps so to speak in in the concept of a of a sales funnel or leading a customer from you know from a a prospect to a lead to an actual customer um so it's kind of like your your customer journey and how you're kind of leading uh through a desired action and and you know in modern sense in the modern day we can do this and you were t- touched about this, like having the the awareness, you know, getting people who know who you are, whether that's through running a Facebook ad, whether it's just putting content out on social media, you know, building that brand awareness is kind of the first step. Um, so in the mm. modern era, then then you kind of get them to um, opt in, you know, to to because uh, to your world, to a platform that you can control and that's modern you know technology that's email so email's been around forever and that's still the easiest way to communicate with people and kind of nurturing those relationships you know with with your potential and it's something we control exactly so because like you know because at the end of the day followers you can't followers don't pay the damn bills you know but you're (laughs) You know, people that you are building a relationship with, uh, potential customers, you know, through email, you know, is something that, you you know, is more measurable and how you can, can control that situation. Right. But even still, like if we look at Facebook and like Twitter, Instagram, all those, like the rules of how you're allowed to even reach mm-hmm. your audiences that you've built on yep. there are changing all the exactly. time. Because essentially they're owned by those companies. Whereas your email list is yours wholly. You can reach out to them. Now you don't want to piss everybody off, but the frequency, the messaging, all that stuff, you get direct control over because it's your email list. So in my own journey as a music producer and building a business and applying kind of these marketing concepts that date back, as I was mentioning to the early 20th century, um, and it's kind of the same concept. You experience this with Amazon or even with McDonald's or whatever. You know, you go, you go in to McDonald's and initially, you know, like or what was it? The the Shamrock Shake, right? Get you know that oh, they yeah. get you in in the door with offering like a free milkshake or something like that, right? So then you're in there and then you're like, oh, you see all, you know, they have hamburgers and all that kind of stuff, and then. And then, so then you you buy a hamburger, and then what do they say immediately after that? Do you want fries with that? Right. So that's your upsell. So that's yeah. that's this yeah. is kind of works. You know, this is kind of like the standard tenets of of those are uh, all built off the item model. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I kind of you know when when getting you know studying this uh, for myself and reading tons of marketing books and. Um, you know, getting coaching from from successful businesses and other industries. What I kind of I kind of adopted this this whole this these these concepts and kind of distilled it in, into four specific steps um, that is can be applicable to music. 
Um, and I actually, I call this the invisible music selling machine. <laughs> I love um, it. <laughs> and so basically, you know, step one is aware. Um, obviously, people need to know who you are uh, and the value, you know, that you offer. And that's like, as we were saying, with getting your stuff out there on social media, building the awareness factor, uh, whether it's running Facebook ads or you know, posting on social media or, you know, um, doing all those things to build awareness. And that leads to the second step, which is engage, you know, then people start to get to know who you are and start to engage with your content. Um, and then at that point, it's um, time to uh, make them uh, to do a small commitment. And that the idea is to get them to onto your email list and uh you, you know you can offer something like a free download like a a sample pack or something like that or or you know what whatever and that's that's kind of what what you call like your your what they call in um digital marketing they call that a lead magnet which is mm-hmm. basically your giving it a something of value up front in exchange for the email list and then or for their email address and then once you get them onto your email then you can convert them into a, a paying customer because it's easier to to convert somebody that knows who you are um it might take longer to build trust with them, yeah. but you can eventually get that trust. Yeah, exactly. So so think of how romantic relationships work, right? It would be yep totally weird if you ask somebody to marry you uh the first time you meet them right so so it's kind of the same the same thing when you're um you know blasting your your services out there on social media you Mm -hmm. know you haven't earned the right you know to ask for the sale so that that's kind of why people call this concept a sales funnel and then it's kind of been you know there's there's software platforms out there that will allow you to do this quickly you know pretty cheaply and on and practically on autopilot so i think there's a couple different ways you can do it you know there's a uh, software that's developed specifically for sales funnels called click funnels mm-hmm. um and then there's other cart platforms and stuff that you can leverage or um you know there, there's, there's so a, many now <laughs> there's so many different ways you can do it but you, the point is 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 once you kind of map this all out, you can use this technology to your advantage these days where you can kind of, and why I call this um, system that uh, that we teach our students at the Music Producers Alliance how to implement is, is why I call it the invisible music selling machine because, you know, once you set up these, these moving parts and stuff, it's, it can pretty much run on autopilot, you know? So yeah, and, and to your audience, the end, the end person who's experiencing that funnel, like they don't, they don't, they don't see the gears for what they mm-hmm. are. It's invisible to them. Right. That's why it's called the invisible music selling machine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we can take that model and we can apply it to like the social media stuff has kind of like we mentioned in the past episodes that, you know, social media has kind of disrupted the traditional media vehicles and how, how businesses and everybody mm-hmm. used to, to market to the general public. And, you know, we mentioned like what it was, you know, terrestrial broadcast or newspaper, you know, like you had the major publishers, social media has disrupted all of that. So we've kind of had to take these models and make them a little bit more sophisticated. And you have guys like Damian Keyes who are big proponents behind, you know, building a story brand, which is, you know, that that's based on the book by um, Donald Miller. So 
Donald Miller kind of popularized the social media version of it, but they're all based on, they've kind of just taken the Ida model and evolved it for modern era. The vehicles might've changed, but the process is still the same. Exactly. That's a great book. If you guys are looking for more information on, you know, the, the, the psychology behind it and, and how we, we might want to market ourselves as creatives, building a story brand by Donald Miller. That's a great book. Um, but even, you know, like we look at Damien Keyes, who's like a YouTube, um, he's basically like a coach for artists and he's got this whole platform. Even he bases it on the same model, like building the awareness. And he tells the artist like, Hey, look, when you first show up, it's like, it's like being the, the person at the party says, Hey, I'm here. And nobody knows who you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you start by just showing up, bring the beer, have a good time, be the life of the party. And eventually people start to remember your name. Hey, you're that guy that does such and such. Okay, cool, cool. You know, and they enjoy it and they want to keep starting. Next thing you know, you can start throwing your own parties because now you've got the following. People actually will show up to your party. That's that long tail effect. That's essentially what that lead nurturing Mm -hmm. thing is that you've been talking about on their email list. They opted in because they're interested. They may not be a buyer right now, but now that they're interested, you can keep yourself top of mind and nurture that lead until it's ready to buy from you. Yeah, I mean, and I guess also too, we, we you also mentioned this a little bit before about the sophistication of the marketplace too, because I think today customers are you know more skeptical, uh, knowledgeable, and have bigger expectations than ever before. So, uh, you know, and. And uh, one of those expectations is that businesses should care more about the customer than the actual transaction, right? So I think when, when if you look at like companies that make short-term decisions, you know, that sacrifice those long-term relationships and compromise, you know, their values mm-hmm. and um, they're, you know, they they don't stay in business very long, right? So, yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, I think, you know, that's why having a systemized marketing strategy that is actually leading your potential customer down this, whatever you want to call it, the item method, the, you know, invisible music selling machine, the concepts are the same. It's just, you kind of have to evolve it and adapt it to yourself, uh, to your business, because, you know, I think, cause at the end of the day, you know, the industry is constantly changing and evolving. So, but, uh, but if you're kind of, you know, rooted in your, in your passion and in your alignment, you know, then you can kind of really uh, adapt to sort of these changes that are kind of happening, you know? So, so that's super important. Another book that I highly recommend checking out is, is, uh, by Connie Steele. It's building the business of you. It's, I highly recommend that because it's really uh, her book is is talks a little bit more about you know about uh, what what does it mean to you know uh, evolve in your business and how do you adapt to these shifting things that are happening in the world and then and then where do you find new opportunities and it all starts with being firm in in yourself and what you stand for and in your building the business of you you know uh, so you are are the business. I want to pick on Netflix just yeah. for a minute because uh, this is pretty recent. So hopefully everybody kind of knows what's going on. But this goes back to what you were just saying about, you know, when you're making short term decisions, trying to mm-hmm. chase the dollar rather than serving your customer, 
Netflix is is exploring the idea of taking their lower tiered plans and injecting ads into those. That to, and they've already expressed that they are going through a decline cycle. Now, in past episodes, we've talked about the four stages of a business, or for they're essentially um, it's a cycle that every business goes through. There's the establishment phase, there's the growth phase, the maturity phase, and then there's the decline or dissolution phase. Well, Netflix is finally hitting their decline phase. It was bound to happen, but now they're making short-term decisions that are impacting them, and it's probably going to lead to more aggravation because they're not focused on the customer. They're not they're not coming up with a solution that truly serves their customer. That would be a great opportunity for them to say, hey, we are actually losing customers. I think they, what, 200 million subscribers yeah. or something like that? And this is the first time they have a net loss in the company in 10 years. Their first reaction is to like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to start injecting ads into our lower tiered plans. You already have paying subscribers, and now you're going to aggravate people when they have a ton of options. Remember, we mm-hmm. mentioned market sophistication. People know they have options like Disney Plus, Apple Plus, Hulu. Like, there's so many other major competitors out there, not just little ones, I mean, big ones. Amazon Prime. Why are you going to aggravate your customers and give them the opportunity to leave and go pick one of those other platforms just because you're trying to make up some of that cash flow? You're already a major player. Clearly, their focus is on making money and not serving their customer. And that's what we're trying to drive home with this. When you're talking about marketing, like, th- does that make any sense to you, Adam? Like, why would they do that? That, to me, seems very short-sighted. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a byproduct of of corporate greed. I mean, you know, it's like um, maximizing profits. Yeah. And, um, and I get it. I mean, they're, they're a public company. They have to please their shareholders. And I've worked for companies like that. And let me say, it's not an easy feat to do, but it's also just, it's, it was funny. Cause I remember working for day one of the onboarding process. They say their very first and primary goal is to pay back their shareholders. They're telling him new employees day one on this. Like they're not focused on trying to make it a, a pleasant experience for the customer. They're not even trying to like, you know, incentivize you to like, hey, this is a happy place to work. We take care of our employees. No, it's we pay back our shareholders first and foremost. That is goal number one and is very clearly communicated throughout the company. So it it definitely just I don't know. Like I can see Netflix, like, hey, you know, we've we have a major deficit. We need to try to figure it out. But that is clearly a short-term solution because long-term, they're just going to start hemorrhaging more people leaving their uh, their subscriptions. So when you can look at the business and make those tough decisions within your brand, let's say you're going through that decline cycle right now. Like, hey, we're we're doing that, you know, 10K a month, right? I have these big, big clients coming in. But, um, you know, for the next two months, I don't have any clients lined up. Um, I've heard some other business podcasts that said, let's get creative. Like I have an opening in my books as it gets closer. They did something called dynamic pricing model. Let's say a studio, for example, um, as it gets closer, if you have openings closer to the day of, you'll start dropping your price a little bit, not like by like tons and tons, but it, that starts to, you know, as I get closer to the day that I need to fill, if there's an opening still, I'll reduce my price a little bit and I can get them in the door. Whereas when people are like, hey, they know they need to be booked out months in advance. They'll keep the pricing high because that the demand is clearly there. And that's the first opportunity they have the book. 
you know, in an ideal situation, you'd constantly have, a, a, you know, filling the pipeline, as they, as they say, is that that's why I think, you know, I think you're, you're going to have moments of that where, you know, you're going to have lull periods in any business. But I also think, too, that the more you have a, a systemized, you know, marketing strategy in place to get a client acquisition process, you know, mm-hmm. kind of either automated or kind of a steady flow of and that's why we why it's called a sales funnel right um why it, they call it a funnel because you know you you start with a whole bunch of people and then you're kind of whittling down you know down as people go down the funnel there are fewer fewer people end up converting to a customer and that's actually okay because you're kind of weeding out the you know, it's kind of like a yeah, the tire kickers, it's it's almost like a sift, you know, um, you know, in a way more, more like, a, I guess, be a, be a better way to look at it as a sift versus a, a funnel, but it's kind of, you know, but if, mm-hmm. but also at the same token, if you don't have people, if you don't have water coming into the funnel, you know, you're not going to have the potential of, of customers, right. That are, that are happening. Yeah. So I think. <laughs> That so, thing's coming out the bottom. You have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you have holes in your funnel, right? And then yeah. people are like escaping before they even, you know, get further down the funnel. But I think that for the point that I'm trying to make too, is that I think it kind of is a little bit more sophisticated these days. And that's why there's this concept of a marketing flywheel, which I definitely wanted to bring up because mm. I think it's... You know, you talked about market sophistication, and I think in order to grow, you know, your your business needs to deliver remarkable customer experience, right? So, and this is where this concept of a flywheel comes into play. So, yeah, I haven't so, heard this term before. So, yeah, so so uh, well, flywheel, you know, is it's it's in in the literal sense, it's like it's a mechanical device, which you know uses the conservation of angular momentum to store rotational energy. So this is a little Yeah, I think it was what, for for people who are on YouTube regularly, I think it's Veritasium's like a science guy and he kind of demonstrated he's like this is a 40 pound flywheel and then yep. when he actually set the rotation in motion fast enough RPMs, he was able to mm-hmm. lift it up with a single hand over his head. Yep. So so what what the point is and how this applies to the marketing fly you know marketing is that the momentum you gain when you align your entire brand around delivering remarkable customer experience it is re- really remarkable at storing and releasing energy that's what a flywheel does so in in turn that's pretty important when you think about your business strategy so another another way to think of it is like wheels on the train or a car you know, this is kinetic energy. Um, if you go back from, I'm draw, drawing from my high school science days, I guess. <laughs> you know, but the kinetic, you know, energy is. If you if you studied high school science, you know, it's especially helpful when thinking about how customers, you know, can can grow your business. So you know, you're you're getting, uh, you know, other marketing models. You know, think think of customers as an outcome. You know, nothing more or less. So all the energy that you spent acquiring that customer ends up being wasted and you're left at square one. So that's that's why what you, what you were touching about on is is that lull period is that you really don't have that mechanism to get, you know, get people to 
the next phase, which is to advocate and promote your services, right? You know, we were saying, you know, you can't survive on word of mouth alone, but word of mouth is still kind of part of it, part of the marketing strategy for sure. Absolutely. Um, And that's why, you know, if you center around, you know, referrals are still uh, part of the process too. But, but again, you know, having people in the pipeline is, is, is super important because the, you know, that, that kind of makes the, the, the wheel spin faster. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And if we look at the, so you, you already mentioned it, but the, if we take this concept of word of mouth, right, let's, let's throw it into the, let's throw it into something that we can control. We'll, we'll, we're going to lump in word of mouth into part of our social proof strategy. So what is social proof? I mean, social proof is just, you know, do you have people that you've worked with talking mm. about you or can give you testimonials? Because uh, it's that, uh, yeah. you know, people want to know that that you've worked with other people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And social proof is kind of just leaning on the fact that other people are validating for you that, hey, this, this is a worthwhile endeavor. This is, you know, if you go look on reviews mm-hmm. on Yelp for any business, that's social proof. A lot of times my, my wife will refer to like, just looking at uh, restaurants we go to, she's like, you always tell which, co- you know, which ones are good just by how many people are there. Like it, if you go and there's like down the block, there's this pizza place and then there's this other pizza place up the road. Well, this place is always empty and then the other one's always busy. That's social mm-hmm. proof right there. <laughs> you kind of lean on like. Oh, gee, I wonder which one's better. Well, I know which one's more popular because clearly people seem to like this one more. Whatever the reason is, maybe they just have better mm-hmm. customer service or the food truly is better. That's still up to you to decide. But the social proof is clearly identifying that that business is in demand. That's an area we can also try to actively control is by you know putting in a strategy that says, hey, after I've worked with a customer, having a follow up strategy build up a, a campaign or it might just be as simple as like sending an automated email out to the customer after they're done with the project and saying, Hey, you know, I really love working with you. Uh, I'd love to know if there was anything we could do to improve that or, you know, anything you have that was positive to say, we'd love it if you would just leave a review on our website or leave a review on our you know social media page so that others know what it's like to work with us. That's being genuine. That's not, that's not being sleazy. But it is asking for the sale. And a lot of times people are just afraid to ask for the sale. And even after you've already gotten the sale, it, it's like we're afraid to follow up. We're afraid to try to get their recommendation. But you know what? A lot of people survive off of recommendations when the marketing vehicle is, needs improvement. And that social proof goes a long way. So we've mentioned things like the top, middle, and bottom of the funnel. And we can we can essentially take our marketing strategy and look at ways to pull the levers and and move the levers up and down or pulleys and mess with this marketing machine to fine tune when we need, uh, let's say, for example, you have way too many people that are tire kickers coming in. Well, you can increase the friction on your marketing to start weeding those people out. Sometimes it's just, it comes down to pricing. Maybe you need to raise your pricing so that you get rid of those people that are just the tire kickers asking for way too many revisions for this or that. Or maybe you're not getting enough inquiries in. You're not getting enough people biting. Something in your marketing needs to change. It can change at the top or the middle or the bottom of the funnel. But if you know where they're coming from, if they're at the top still, 
and they're not ready to buy, getting that feedback can help. And if you have questionnaires, finding ways to interact with your audience to find out where they're being frictioned out or if they're stuck and they're still on the fence, that's where you can start to leverage and grow in whatever marketing strategy you implement. It's not like you just say, hey, I'm going to do marketing XXX um, and, and that's it. Your marketing needs to constantly evolve. You know, Adam said this multiple times. So if, if you can find ways to be more scientific about it in A, B, split test, or just, just test different things, that will help you grow long-term. Your marketing needs to constantly adapt to the market. Yeah, and I, I will say, though, if you're the, the strategies and stuff, they kind of uh, evolve over time. I mean, like, but the methodology, I guess, has, hasn't changed much, right, <laughs> um, over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just how you, it's the vehicle that, that um, has changed or kind of the sophistication, you know, I mean, but the same, this, the process is the same, like whether, you know, with, whether you describe it as the IDA or the sales funnel or whatever, the process is mm-hmm. kind of the same. So when this kind of stops working, you know, it's like if your brand is difficult to navigate, you know, or relies on those less than honest tactics, you know, don't be surprised when people start walking out the door, you know, you kind of need to take the time to invest in, in transparent, easy to understand processes, you know, that truly serve your customers. And then if you do that, you'll find yourself on the top because if your processes don't have the end customer in mind, you know, it's, it's not going to work either. So, um, so there's two sides of that. It's like being true to yourself as, as the brand and what your producer brand represents. And then, Mm -hmm. and then the customers that you serve. So, my advice would be just making sure that you have those two things and then whatever strategies that you employ, you know, helps kind of spin the the wheel faster for you. And, and yeah, and your growth goes uh, exponential at that point. And I think that's where, you know, the invisible music selling machine has really distilled down this sort of, you know, essential framework mm-hmm. that makes it very easy and approachable for a lot of producers out there. So, yeah, I think that's definitely one thing. If if you guys are on the fence about, you know, the Music Producers Alliance or joining the, the mentorship program, having a structure goes a long way than just trying to piecemeal yourself, you know, everything together, especially if you want to move faster, because uh, when you have a structured program, it kind of lays everything out for you when, when you're going it yourself, like obviously for, for Adam and myself, it's taken us a decade plus on our own, just trying to reach this level. But together we're able to start accelerating because we can put our heads together. We have people that we can lean on. Like obviously Adam has mentors. I have mentors and those mentors are help focus you on things. Maybe you, you know, keep neglecting or maybe should be paying more attention to that will help you start getting your, your vehicle moving faster. I remember equating it to, who is it? I think it was Jessica. I've been to several of her uh, seminars for finance back when I was doing uh, life insurance stuff. And they kept uh, talking about like this vehicle, this concept of motion, right? But when you're trying to build a business and you feel like you're stuck in the mud, like, hey, I'm riding a bike, right? And I'm sitting there pedaling as fast as I can, but I'm not getting anywhere. And you see all these people just passing you by in these cars, right? They're an Uber or Lyft or whatever. And they're just zooming past you. It's like, why are they doing it? But I'm stuck in the mud. It would take you 10 seconds to stop, pick up your phone, call somebody 
that Uber, that Lyft or whatever, and get in a vehicle and use the same vehicle they're at to get where you need to go faster. And that's what these structured programs are really designed to do, to get you to stop wasting your time stuck in the mud, aggravating yourself for no reason when you want to do what other people are doing and you can be just as successful as they are. The problem is you just, you're putting all of your energy into the wrong vehicle. So we need to switch tracks, you know, get on that, that railroad, get on Uber or Lyft or whatever it is and figure out what's going to get us to our destination. Now, that's why we have coaching that comes down to one-on-one sessions because everybody might be building a slightly different business and the needs of your own individual business are going to be different from what other producers might be trying to do. But that's why we have the coaching sessions. They're structured in a way that we can help get you on track the fastest. And when we talk about this stuff, like obviously for closing thoughts, I just want to say if you spend at least a little bit of time each week putting together a plan of action, it can go a long way to achieving your goals. So keep it simple. You can set stretch goals, but I want you to focus on like weekly reviews, like look at your wins, your losses, or the lessons learned that week. That can help you adapt your plan because your plan doesn't just, you plan it once and then it's static. It doesn't change. Well, the music industry changes, we change, we grow, everything evolves. So you have to keep up with it and you have to be able to identify when something isn't working so that you can address it. Every business knows that what doesn't get measured doesn't grow. And that also means that if you're not measuring it, you're not able to adapt when you have shortcomings. Yeah. And I, I'd also like to to say, you know, you know me and I'm, I'm a sucker for a a good quote. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention before we sign off is that, you know, uh, this is a lot we cover. Yeah. We covered a lot. There's a lot of stuff to think about. Um, but you know, just doing just a little bit during the time you have available, um, puts you that much further ahead than if you took no action at all. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. And just like, uh, what was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the message episode. Yep. <laughs> 70% perfect is perfect. So yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. Yep. <laughs> oh, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Thanks so much, Adam. I really appreciate you going on, in, on this whole mini series episode with me. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to have some great takeaways from all this. I know I learned a ton from all this. Yeah, I just, from the bottom of my heart, I, I appreciate everything you've yeah. been doing for the Music Producers Alliance and all of our students and for me. Like, it's, been, it's, it's helped me grow a lot. Yeah, it's, it's super important. I think I'm glad we were able to discuss these four pillars because it really is, you know, you can't have one without the other. So um, any you look at any successful producer, this is just kind of my observation of successful producers and then how I experience success in my own career is really coming down to these four pillars working all together. And, you know, it's, the you know, again, just to recap, it's mindset uh, message, music, and marketing. So these four pillars working all together is really what b- brings you success as a as a producer. And uh, and if you need help, and you know, reach out to us, bounce ideas. We have our free Discord community where you can get uh, uh, some advice. But also, if you're ready to take the next step, um, just book a call uh, with me. Go to musicproducersalliance.com/apply. Uh, and we'll help you uh, apply this to your 
producer business. And then uh, again, if it makes sense for us to work together and we can help you get to the next level, we'll, we'll definitely show you how that works as well. But either way, you know, these calls are absolutely free. We believe in giving upfront value. Yeah. So take advantage of, of just even just a brainstorm session. Well, I'll help you uh, point you in the right direction, regardless of whether or not you decide to enroll in our program. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Adam. Thank you. We'll catch you next time. Alrighty. Well, there you go, folks. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of this episode. We can't believe it's already been two years of the Music Producers Alliance and a year of the podcast. We really want the podcast to continue growing, but to do that, we need your help. Your input matters to us in order to help understand you better and provide you with the resources that you need to grow as a music producer. That's why I'm running a giveaway. And because I would just love to hear more of your music, of course. (laughs) If you email podcast at modernproducersecrets.com with the subject line episode 10 contest and leave a review of the podcast, you'll be entered into a mastering project giveaway. Be honest, share your likes, what we could do better, what you'd like us to cover more of. You know, we want to hear from you. The giveaway winner will be announced on episode 30. The cutoff date to enter is when episode 29 drops. That's just one episode away, folks. Late entries will not be considered. We will reply to the winner via email, and the winner has 48 hours to respond. If you miss your window, a new winner will be drawn from the remaining entries. I just want to help someone improve their production, so I'm open to any project, whether it's a single an EP, or a full-length album. There are some special limitations. There is no voucher to redeem at a later date, so you can't, you know, book this six months out. But I am willing to be fairly flexible and work with the winner. Finally, this podcast is brought to you by the Music Producers Alliance, an online community and professional development platform that provides learning resources, networking opportunities, and professional mentoring to music and content creators everywhere. Find our mastermind group on Discord, Visit musicproducersalliance.com or find the link in the show notes to get started.